my friends, welcome to Rainbow Parenting, your queer and gender affirming parenting and education podcast. I am your host, Linz Amer. Today, I'm having a really interesting conversation, and I, I hope you think it's interesting too. I'm talking to Jenna Carvanitas, who is the original inventor of the gender reveal party. And Jenna is not necessarily like our typical guests here on Rainbow Parenting. Usually I'm talking to experts and creatives and people in the early childhood spaces and social justice and liberation spaces. But Jenna is like an original mommy blogger who kind of came up with this idea when she was pregnant one day and it somehow turned into a cultural phenomenon that's not so great for queer, trans and non-binary people. Jenna was kind enough to come on the podcast and talk to me all about the origins of the gender reveal party and why she doesn't think they're so great anymore. But I hope that this conversation can be a resource for folks who maybe, you know, want to send their relative or friend who's having a gender reveal party and be able to send them this episode and say, hey, like this actually isn't the best thing. And the person who actually started it doesn't love these things anymore. And here is why. So we're going to get into all of that in my conversation with Jenna. But before we get there, I just want to say a huge, huge thank you to everyone who has listened to and supported the podcast so far. We've gotten a bunch of new people over on the Queer Kids Stuff Patreon page, which is what supports this podcast. So thank you. Thank you so much to all of our patrons, new and old. It really does help keep the lights on for us. So I, I so appreciate everyone's support. And thank you everyone for sending in all of your messages, your DMs, your emails, your reviews even. It really, really just just makes my day hearing the ways that this podcast and the work that we're doing have impacted your lives because it's one thing to look at a number on a screen and see how many views a video has or listens or downloads an episode has. And it's it's so different to look at that number and then look at an email and like actually see an individual's experience with this work. And I don't know. I'm a theater major. I'm used to an audience and an audience reaction being immediate and imminent. And I, I miss that a lot in the digital work. So I so appreciate everyone who's been sending messages and has been sending emails. I read all of them, even if I don't respond. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sending those in. And I did want to read a couple of the reviews that we've gotten on Apple Podcasts from people who've been listening to the show. So this review comes from Joey. So excited this podcast exists. My toddler's been watching Queer Kid Stuff for a long while now, calls it Ready Teddy. Happy to hear about other justice advocates in the pedagogy sphere and hear more from ones I already knew about and whose work I admire. Thank you so much for writing that review, Joey. I'm so, so glad that you've heard of some of the guests before and are learning more from them. And you're also getting introduced to some new awesome people. All right. This next one comes from a non-binary parent. A brilliant, necessary podcast. In Rainbow Parenting, Linz Amer creates a warm, inviting space that demonstrates why queer and justice topics are central to all parenting, regardless of the identities of the parents or their kiddos. Linz is such a thoughtful and perceptive interviewer. I was excited about this podcast when I heard it was announced, and the first two episodes are everything I was hoping for. Oh, whoever wrote this, thank you so much. Um, I have been hopefully growing as an interviewer over the last couple of years and uh, makes just my heart feel real good that 
folks are enjoying the podcast and what we're trying to do and the interviews. All right. And then this last review is from another listener. Amazing first episode. Megan Madison opened my heart and my spirit with this conversation about kids as organizers. Have the courage of a two-year-old. Yes. Oh my gosh. Megan Madison is absolutely incredible. And I think that we should put the have the courage of a two-year-old on a t-shirt. I'll let you know when that is available for purchase. Thank you so much to everyone who has written these reviews. If you are so inclined and want to rate the podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, please, please do. I would love, love, love to hear what you think about the podcast and your favorite episode. All right, before I get into my interview with Jenna, here's what you need to know. Let's talk about making mistakes. This is something I like to bring up quite a bit because I think that it's so, so important to understand that especially in social justice work, in work where we're talking about oppression and liberation and marginalized identities, that we all understand that we are human and humans make mistakes. And it is okay to make mistakes. And it's not about the mistake itself necessarily. It's how you learn and grow and take accountability for that mistake and move forward. So let me tell you a story about when I made a mistake because I am also a human and I am also not perfect. And I didn't come out of the womb knowing all this stuff about early childhood and social justice and liberation and queerness and transness. I I just didn't. And I've been on my own learning journey over the years of doing this work actively. When I did the first season of Queer Kid Stuff, I did a series of episodes explaining the different letters in LGBT. I did an L is for lesbian, a G is for gay, a T is for trans, and I did a B is for bisexual video. I was very early on in my activism journey and my own understanding of my queerness. And when I wrote the script for that episode, I simply didn't do the research that I needed to do. And that was on me. The definition of bisexual that I used in that video was extremely binary and essentially biphobic and transphobic. I talked about bisexual as meaning attraction to both boys and girls, when that's not actually a true and accepted definition of what bisexuality is nowadays, even at the time when I wrote and uploaded that episode. I got a lot of negative feedback from that episode from many camps, including from the LGBTQ plus community itself and people who I admire and recognize within our community as thought leaders and activists and people who are doing good work. Folks called out that definition as being biphobic and transphobic because it didn't include non-binary people in the definition of bisexuality and it relied on a binary understanding of gender which was something I was trying to combat in the series itself. So I took some time to reflect on that episode and I put a rebooted episode on my to-do list of episodes, a very long laundry list of episodes that I still have not exhausted to this day, even though I don't actively make Queer Kid Stuff videos anymore. And I took the time and 
when it came around to the fourth season of Queer Kid Stuff and starting to go into production on that, I pulled the rebooted bisexual video onto that list and I got a friend to help me out with the episode, to be a guest on the episode and to help me write it and collaborate on the content. And I took the intro of that episode as an opportunity to talk to the young kids in my audience about making mistakes and that I am a person who can make mistakes. And the first time that I did this video, I made a mistake and that that mistake wasn't okay and it caused harm. And I had to take accountability for that and show the kids who are watching that even though I'm a grown up and I'm someone who has this platform and, and does this work, I can still make mistakes. I am not perfect. I think folks get so hung up on this idea of perfectionism, even when we're talking about social justice. And I want to just point out that that is a mechanism of colonialism, that we forget that we're humans sometimes when we're doing this work and we're striving to be better in this work. And I think that what's more important than making mistakes is how you can gracefully acknowledge them and acknowledge your own humanity, especially next to young children and in community with young children and in conversation with young children. And we can grow from these mistakes. Mistakes are not scary or bad. They can be harmful, yes, but this is how we move forward. This is how we get better, by making mistakes and building mechanisms to make it right again and not ever make that mistake again or try not to make that mistake again. And I think Jenna's story sits so well with that because... She did make a mistake, and it ended up having these huge, wide-reaching cultural consequences that she never could have perceived. But also understanding, and I think that she's she's grown a lot, and you'll hear this in the episode, that we can take responsibility for our own actions, and we can take responsibility for our own mistakes, and we can work on ourselves. And that's the only way that we can move forward and make ourselves better and make the world better. So I want to just contextualize this conversation that I'm having with Jenna with this idea of how making mistakes is okay sometimes and how we can still be humans who are not perfect. And that we're all on our own growth journeys, whatever that looks like at whatever point in our life we're in. And that we're all just trying to be better. Or hopefully <laughs> most of us are. If you're listening to this, you probably are. All right, that's enough of me talking. Let's get to the conversation with Jenna Carbonitas, the inventor of the gender reveal party. Hello, my friends. I am so excited to bring today's guest, Jenna Carbonitas, onto the podcast. Hello, Jenna. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Of course, we're going to get to a really exciting conversation that I am stoked about. But before we get into that, can you tell us how you identify and what your pronouns are? Yes, uh, she, her, hers pronouns. I'm a white lady. That's my identification. Uh, straight, you know, boring, <laughs> suburban mom. Um, that Those are my 
my qualifiers, I guess. Great. Um, and I'm <laughs> sure folks are wondering, we usually you, you're a little bit different than some of the other guests that we typically have on the podcast, because we're a queer and gender affirming podcast. But I think that you are an absolutely relevant guest to bring on. And I think people will figure that out why as we're talking. Um, but before we get into that, um, and I know... <sighs> Today, uh, just acknowledging that today is uh, May 25th of 2022, and we're not going to really dig deep into that, but I do like to come to this podcast as kind of full humans. So I just asked the question, how are you doing today? Oh, yeah, not well. It was very difficult to send my kids to school today. Um, yeah. You know, there's such a ripple effect when people do things that are bad. Okay. So it's very, very bad. The tragedy, obviously that happened at that school. And I feel like there's this ripple effect with like, okay, now we're all in a bad mood. We're all sad. Um, it was about an hour before school got out yesterday and I had allowed my kids to walk into town. There's like a Starbucks next to school. And I was like, okay, I'm going to let them test their little freedom. And then I was like, well, hell no, I'm not going to do that. You guys have to get in the car. So I drive up to the school. They don't expect me. And oh my God, the freaking principal ran out, ran out to my car, starts yelling at me, like to get out of the lane. And it's like, you know, there's all these negative interactions that was like seismically out. And it's just like something to think about every time you're interacting with somebody, like be the best you can be, because if you do something crappy, they're going to go and be crappy to someone else. And it's just like, who's having a crappy day today? everyone. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And I think that it's it's so important to like let yourself sit in like the grief of moments like these and know that like everyone is having a grief or most people are having a grief moment like this. So I just I wanted to hold a little space for us as we're doing this interview. And this is something that is ongoing. And there are a lot of things that are on fire right now. So um, I think that uh, even when people are listening to this episode, it's still (laughs) probably going to be relevant. And I think just holding space for our emotions and what's happening in the world right now is, is really important and is relevant to what we talk about on this podcast. Okay. Holding space for that and continuing to move on into our conversation. So Jenna, what you doing here on this podcast? (laughs) Well, I am the uh, credited inventor of the gender reveal party, which I like much despise now. Um, I was an OG mommy blogger back in the early 2000s. I mean, I had a blog in like the late 90s, like first. Yeah, I was like just one of those early adapters to social media. So Mm. I just had a blog, I had a following and I put a lot of things on my blog. You never know. It's just like now you never know it's going to go viral. You're not thinking through everything you're doing all the time. Mm. I don't, I don't really think like deeply about the things I'm posting all the time. I just kind of in myself and I'm always posting and just doing what I do. Social media was a lot different back then too. It was not monetized. It was not a a look at me kind of culture. It was more like I'm sharing my online diary with you. And I had this party when I was pregnant with my now teenager and we had a gender reveal party. It was more to get like the family excited. Mm. It was a very small gathering. It was like on a Tuesday and it was like the ugliest cake you ever saw. And I had this gender reveal party and then yeah, Things exploded from there. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I think the idea of like something exploding on the internet, like virality was like a totally new thing then. I don't even think that was really like a full concept in the 90s, was it? Well, no, this was actually the early 2000s. So by the time the blog came out, she was born in 08. So it was the summer Mm. of 08. 
Um, but the way it went viral wasn't necessarily through the internet anyway. What happened mm. was my blog, it had enough of a following to like have people on there and like, you know, hateful comments and, you know, like one of those type things. But um, yeah. it really got the attention of the editors at a magazine called The Bump, which I don't even mm-hmm. know even still in publication. Yeah, but I think to- that still exists. I think The Bump exists. exists. Yeah. And so uh, I was joking. My only time to ever be a centerfold, <laughs> they put me in a spread in the middle of the magazine because they'd seen my blog and they contacted me and they're like, hey, Jenna, can you tell us like where you go shopping and like what's all going on with your pregnancy? Like a big splashy like mm-hmm. thing. And I was like, sure. How like, you know, I was in Chicago at the time. Um, although like the Chicago had like a lot of like, you know, frou-frou specialty shops for like the fancy moms. And it was kind of more like that. But then like a portion of this article with pictures was dedicated to this gender reveal party that I did while Mm. I was pregnant. And so that magazine, just as luck would have it, and as the universe lined up, ended up being the free magazine that was available in OBGYN midwives waiting rooms. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, you know, people in 2007, you didn't really scroll your smartphone all the time. Yeah. So people were waiting for their appointments. The old school, they pick up a magazine and you read it while you're waiting for your anatomy scan. So I don't know if anybody here has been pregnant, but basically when you're about halfway through your pregnancy, you go for this like quote, like the big ultrasound. And that's where they like, look at the four chambers of the heart. They make Mm -hmm. sure the lungs are like there. And then like the last part of your exam is basically, you know, like see if it has a penis or whatever. And I decided to make a party out of that. And so a lot of people who are reading that magazine in the waiting room were like, wait a minute, I can do this Mm. right now. I can literally go home and I can bake a cake and make a party. And so anyway, that's, that's how it spread. So it wasn't totally the internet viral. It's really interesting though, because it's become a cultural phenomenon, right? And like, it's, it's interesting to kind of like dissect how that happens. And it sounds like first your blog and like talking about it and then this magazine and that magazine just kind of and that centerfold just kind of being in the right place and time in people's lives. So what do you think it was about the idea of a gender party originally that really kind of caught fire? You know, I think it's about um, having a party during the pregnancy that's everybody's invited. Mm. I mean, as, as terrible as gender reveal parties have now become, uh, I think they were actually the first step toward being inclusive to everyone at the party. Cause you know, baby showers are like supposedly for the women and you're, mm. you know, and I, I just, I didn't like, I was not looking forward to having a baby shower. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, it's like embarrassing. There's like nipple clamps or <laughs> not nipple clamps, nipple, you know, whatever they're called, like the shields and like the pumping. Sure, like, yeah. like, the part I wasn't like so interested in, you know, but um, yeah. Not to get like super deep, but I guess whatever we're here. I um I have a very toxic relationship with my with my mom. She, I haven't mm-hmm. talked to her in almost a decade at this point. Um, and I was always like trying to get her involved. Like, please, mm. I bought her a plane ticket. Please come with me to pick up my wedding dress. Please come, please be a part. I'm having this baby. This is your grandchild. Like, please get involved. And she just didn't care. She has mental issues and mm-hmm. we've moved on. But at that time I thought, okay, this is another thing. I always had to like go big to get the attention and um, it got everybody's attention. And it was something I think that spread because everybody was like, you know what? Yeah, this is a way to get people excited about my baby. People are trying to build those people around your family. Like, oh crap, I'm having this baby. Like what's going to happen if I get sick and I have to go to work? Like what's going to happen? Like who are my people, you know? And we spread out a lot in the US. You're states away from like your mother or your best friend. And you're just like, I got to get this tribe going. So I think that's kind of why it spread. Yeah, I I think that's an interesting idea of, first of all, like an alternative to the kind of very traditional baby shower and what that means and like the gender, 
you know, constructs around that as well that are incredibly entrenched in patriarchy and sexism and 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 all of that. I mean, what you're talking about is looking for your community and chosen family, right? And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, baby showers are a little bit more about like biological family. And- it's about the women and it's not really so much about, I mean, I guess it's a celebration, but it's more like a, a grab for stuff, mm. you know? And I mean, I'm like, there was kind of an anti-commercialism thing going on in the 90s. I kind of come from like a different like point of view where it's like now it's like people just like shamelessly promote, you know, the uh, spawn con on their posts, you know, back then it, I, I, I kind of came to it like, you know, I want to have a party where I want to celebrate, but this isn't about like getting stuff. Like you don't need to bring a gift to this party. This is mm. about just having a community, getting my people there without feeling obligated. I, you know, just to host and to, you know, kind of build that. Like I remember when my brother-in-law showed up, he was grumbling and he was like, mm, I didn't bring a gift. And I was like, <laughs> you're supposed to bring a gift. This is just mm. barbecue at our house on a Tuesday. Yeah. And did you have kind of like a, what we call like, like, you know, the gender reveal part of the party? What did that kind of look like at that original one? Oh yeah. That was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I made two cakes. They were like layer cakes, like round layer cakes. Mm -hmm. just like Betty Crocker, like literally it was a cake mix and some icing from a can. Anyway, so I put pink filling in one of the cakes and I put blue filling in the other cake. And then I covered them both in yellow icing. Mm. And then I made a third cake. It looked like a little duck head. So I had like, you know, like M&Ms for eyes or something and Uh like those orange things for lips. And I made like a little duck. And then when I went to the doctor that day, midwife or whatever, they said, don't tell me if it's a boy or girl. Could you please write that information down and put it in this envelope? I gave her Mm -hmm. an envelope. The midwife like put it in the envelope. We go home and I didn't know what was in the envelope. I was so excited. I wanted to know. I was like Mm. just dying for like, I'm so sorry. I will be sexist. I was dying for a girl. I wanted a girl. Um, And then I gave it to my sister-in-law. I said, okay, you know what? Her name is Athena. I said, could you please take this? Go in the kitchen. Here's your instructions. Open the envelope. If it's a girl, put it on the cake that has this toothpick. I think I had a toothpick sticking out of the one that was pink or something. Sure, yeah. She came out with the cake. And so none of us knew. Yeah. Like, I feel like if I would have, you know, had like just just the two separate cakes, I would have looked at the swirl marks. Yeah, totally. Icing. Like I would have known. But the whole thing was that like we cut into it and everyone got to see the pink mm. icing at the same time. And so that really got everybody like at first, everybody was like, didn't even want to come to my house. Like they weren't really necessarily wanting to like have a party. But when I cut the cake and they all saw the pink, that actually got everybody excited. Even my father-in-law who doesn't really like get like too Mm -hmm. excited about like anything. He was like, he kind of like wiped a tear. He's like, my granddaughter. I'm like, yes, this is what I wanted. I wanted everyone to realize it's not just that I have like this huge belly right now. We have a new family member and it Mm. seemed to cement the baby's humanity. Yeah, that's... That's really interesting that like gender and like solidifying like your child's gender is like what helped kind of like welcome them into your family. And I think for the community that you'd brought together for the event. And I think like, I mean, it's very theatrical. I mean, that's something that he, I'm a theater major. <laughs> and I think that that's something that people naturally gravitate toward is the dramatic moment. What is a reveal? What can like get our adrenaline pumping and excited about these things? So this kind of like origin story, it makes total sense. And I'm kind of curious about when, you know, so people are reading the magazine, you know, this idea is starting to catch on. What is the kind of like trajectory of like, oh, this is kind of like getting out of control for you for as the kind of 
instigator of all of this. You know, yeah, it seemed very uh, progressive at the time. Like, mm. oh, we don't do baby showers. Now we're doing this. It took a little while to take off, take off for me to see other people doing it. I mean, mm. for it to go from like one person, me and my friends to being like the world, it was not overnight. Yeah. As it's going, progress is being made and I'm learning new facts. And I'm also learning about my child who is mm. not a girly girl at all. I mean, if for her first birthday, we had her in a black tuxedo jacket, it just seemed to fit her. Mm. So um, by the time it really started like catching on, catching on, I had, had had another child. I never had another gender reveal because I start to see the problematic, like, wait a minute, we're putting people into two different boxes here. And also we're really uh, sealing off to the girls. Like I'm, I'm a feminist and all three of my children are girls. And I'm really all about like, letting them have their options and being who they are and being treated with every bit of opportunity and respect as their male counterparts. So I'm just kind of seeing this as them being more boxed in the idea that, you know, the non-binary and transgender aspect of it did not come to me until later. I just started seeing more problematic aspects of it as the Mm. like mid 2000 teens, like started happening. And then it starts to dawn on me. Oh my God, we're now it's, we're out of control because Mm. transgender people are being harmed by this. At the same time, the parties are literally becoming explosive. I mean, it's, it's almost like there's a, a camp of people who have stamped their foot in the ground and said, damn it, there's two genders. And we're going to fire off these guns to tell you how much we believe in that concept. That's yeah. where it is at this point. And it's like, oh, my God, everything went sideways. Yeah. And and we've been talking about kind of like the hashtag regrets <laughs> of starting <laughs> gender reveal parties. And, and I'd love to dig into that a little bit. If you do have like regret feelings, maybe it's a different word for you. Tell me about that kind of feeling. Well, I've really had to process it a lot. I mean, the first time I saw the, the brush fires and the acreages burning, yeah. I mean, I bawled my eyes out for days. And I'm just like, what is going on? I mean, I'm a vegetarian. I'm an environmentalist. I'm president of my environmental law association. Like this is an absolute disaster. I've had to really just, just for my own mental health, like take a step back. Like, look, people are doing what they're going to do. I I am not responsible for what other people do at this point. And that is a question I get asked a lot and I'm not offended by it, but I'm also like, people really want to hold me responsible. People really, really want to burn me at the stake. And a lot of that, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's sexism. Does anybody ever go back and and, and say Orville and Wilbur Wright, who invented a plane, are responsible for the plane crashes. Who the mm. hell invented the happy birthday sign? You know, people die at their birthday parties all the time doing stupid things. You know, the, your 21st birthday is like your most risky day to die, like, you know, before the age of 40 or something. So we never hold anybody else so responsible for something that has attenuated so much. Mm. Except it's me and I'm this like, you know, mom, I'm this like Karen looking woman. I mean, I look, if you see me, I know this is a podcast. You can't see me. I look like the woman who wants to talk to the manager. Okay. That's me. That's my aesthetic. I'm a chuggy, as the kids say, I'm totally chuggy. Whatever. I'm a suburban mom. What do you want from me? A mohawk? I mean, so I just think it's just <laughs> easy to, to pin something like this on me. So no, mm. for my mental health, uh-uh. I'm not letting that happen. Do I regret having the party? I mean, I definitely see the error of the ways of separating human beings into pink and blue. That doesn't even make Mm. sense. I do a lot of uh, trying to become educated. It doesn't come naturally to me, but I am in a class right now called race, gender, sexuality, and and how it affects the law because Mm. I 
you know, with my law degree um, that I'm getting, I want to be part of the change, but I also can't, I can't take up responsibility for idiots. No, absolutely. No. And I totally agree with you. Like, I don't think that any one person can be responsible for a cultural phenomenon like this. I think that you did something and were creative and made something. Maybe it was not fully informed about like what gender is. But I also think that like that's something the world has been figuring out over the last decade or so and and more than that. And I think that everybody has their growth edges, right? And it's you did not anticipate it turning into into this enormous thing. And no one person can ever be responsible for that kind of snowballing effect. Like, and I and I agree, the the sexism of that is something to think about for sure. And I think it's less about like, oh, like this thing exists now. And it's more about like, okay, like yes, like gender reveal parties like exist and are a thing in our culture that like are not good and suck. But like it's about changing the vision of what they can be and what they should be because we're talking about like a celebration of life, right? We're talking about a celebration of a new of bringing a child into a community, into a new world. And I think there's something about that that people latch on to. And it's like this specific theatricality around gender that like kind of made it take off, right? And gave people reason to be together as like a form of entertainment almost. And like, again, like that adrenaline boost, right? And I think like, okay, that is something you kind of like accidentally harnessed through this thing. It wasn't on purpose. And I'm and I'm glad that you're working on yourself and figuring out, you know, how everyone can be better. I mean, I'm a white person too. And like, I'm always on a journey to unpack my, my internalized racism. Like that's all incredibly important and a part of all of this work. So I want to present you with an opportunity. Okay, so there are like kind of two versions of this. One is if you could like go back in time and tell yourself like what happens with gender reveal parties. If there's something you would tell yourself, if you would tell yourself to do it differently, if you would think about it differently, what would that be? Or kind of like option two is like if you had the chance to like globally rebrand gender parties. I'm curious about which kind of like option you would pick and like how you would go about that. Because I think they're two very different strategies. Yes, I would love for gender reveal parties to be rebranded as something that trans people do as adults. Mm, I love that. Tell me more. I would just love for people when they're like ready to come out, not like it's going to be a shock. It's like open the cake and be like, oh, and, and, you know, I bet you guys didn't see this one coming, but you know, if it could be more like, okay, this is like almost like a, you know, a a coming out party, Hmm. you know, like this is from this day forward, this is how we're going to be doing things. I'm officially, you know, because I'm sure that, you know, it builds up, like it starts with an idea. Maybe it starts with a Halloween costume. I know that happens a lot. And then it's finally like, okay, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to start showing up at work in my transition state and I'm going to um, file my paperwork, you know, in California. I'm not sure how it is with everywhere, but I know you can file paperwork and, and change your gender. I've worked at a clinic where I help people change their pronouns with the government. Mm. So, you know, maybe that's like the new gender reveal party. Like, okay, like, you know, pink and blue is like stupid to put on babies, but maybe... It's something uh, for adults, which not to assume a gender binary for adults either, but whatever. Maybe that could be like 
because it is a very visual thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you cut into the cake, you see a color, you do the thing, you know, maybe there's different colors. Maybe it's a rainbow cake. I don't know. Maybe ooh, like a, like a gay coming out party. Like you, you cut into the cake and I have a surprise. It's a rainbow cake. Yeah. I think like imagining a world where that is like an exciting thing and not a scary thing. Cause I think right now coming out as trans, as queer can still be really scary for a lot of folks just because of you know, homophobia, transphobia, the world we're living in right now. And I think like, for like imagining a world where that is a celebration where coming out is something that is like a big party where you can cut into a cake and say like, here I am, right? I think that that's a really exciting world one. And I think like I would love to throw like a hi, I'm trans party (laughs) where I like know that people would be comfortable and like be able to celebrate me, right? Yeah, totally. So I'm a mom. So I've got these like mom tricks up my sleeve. If I need to deliver bad news to my children, I sometimes couch it as good news. Mm. Like, okay, something got canceled or we can't go to like what, especially during the pandemic. It's like, oh, we're not going on vacation, but it's like, okay, we have a change of plans. Starbucks, we're going to Starbucks. You know, yeah. Okay. So we're not actually going to the airport, but anyway, Starbucks. So, (laughs) you know, you've got these ways of, of making lemonade out of something difficult. So you can just try to approach life with as much positivity as possible. I think, of course, if you're in a, like a hateful family that like doesn't accept you and like, they're probably not going to go and have a very good time at the party. But um, I would really hope that it, things are changing as a parent myself um, <laughs> the gender reveal baby <laughs> did not gravitate toward pink at all. Uh, her pronouns are still she and her, but you know, she identifies on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. I don't want to, I don't want to speak for her because she's a teenager and mm. I want her to tell her story in due time. I, I try to stay away from that a little bit, but yeah, totally. we just absolutely embrace her and encourage her. She looks amazing in her little suits. I got him in every color. She said she wanted to cut her hair short. I took her to a place called rock and rollers. I was like, let's do this right. Like get it, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, I, I wish that other people would embrace their children with the same love because what in the world does it even matter? (laughs) Why do you care who your kid might want to have sex with later in life? Like it's so irrelevant. So anyway, yeah, I definitely think I wish more people were open to the parties, but you're right. (laughs) Yeah, no. And it's interesting because I do think that like the way that kind of gender reveal parties have happened now, you're totally right that they do reinforce not just like the gender of the incoming baby, but they also reinforce the gender roles that that child is being born into. So, you know, the pink cake isn't just a pink cake. It isn't just my baby's going to be, uh, you know, have a vagina, a vulva, that that baby is going to be a girl, use she, her pronouns, is going to wear dresses and present as feminine. So it's a lot more than just the pink cake. And I, and I, and I like that you're nuancing that too of like, I had this gender reveal party for my child, but like, I am also like looking at my child as a whole human. And I appreciate you calling out that like your teenager, you know, has her own voice and her own experience that you want to let her have as she grows and figures out her stuff, right? Yeah, because she felt really under the microscope when Mm. this, I mean, it's been literally everywhere. Mm. I mean, NPR, People, The Guardian, Elle, I mean, every publication that you can think of, like just flashing this poor kid's picture around. And I tried to make it stop. Everybody thinks, oh, this woman, she's on a publicity tour. Mm. That is not what happened. 
uh, anyway, somebody dug me up on Twitter. The next thing you know, it becomes a story. And at one point I was like, I was just like, it was like getting hit by a car. I was talking to this like reporter and I was like, just please, you know, could you just like not run this story? Like, could you just, can we just take a break? Like, please do not. And I got a very sobering reminder. The woman said, on the phone, this a writer or a editor, whatever. She said, you know what? This story is going ahead with or without your quote. So you can either give me a quote and you have like your side of the story in here, mm. or we just don't include your quote. But guess what? This entire article is running. And I'm like, wow, you're just a commodity. Um, and, you know, and my child was feeling really overwhelmed by that. She was mm-hmm. just like, well, maybe she doesn't want to be defined by that. She ended up growing her hair out like after that and like mm-hmm. wasn't really like presenting the way she was before. And I was like, what's wrong? Like she was getting a lot of messages mm-hmm. from the world. And uh, yeah, it, it was not so great. So I, I want her to stay in her little bubble now. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I absolutely understand like wanting to protect your your child within all of this. I mean, I can relate to that. Like when I was a kid, I was misgendered as a boy all the time. And I really, really disliked it. It's complicated of like why and I'm trying to like figure out like why exactly I I felt that way. And, and I think a lot of it is about like not being in control of how I'm perceived by others. And so I, I remember like I had, you know, an instance of being misgendered by a stranger. And I remember going to my mom and being like, I'm going to grow my hair out and I want to get my ears pierced because I was just tired of people thinking I was a boy. And even though I was expressing myself in the way I wanted to, and like now I know I like, okay, it's because I'm non-binary and like I wasn't a boy and I wasn't a girl. So I was like uncomfortable in both things. But I, mm-hmm. I wanted to present more androgynously and like more of like a slightly like masculine kind of of center way. And I didn't really understand how people's perception of me versus how I wanted to put myself out into the world could kind of reconcile each other. And yeah, that must be really tough for your kid and sending a lot of Sending a lot of love out to her for sure. You know, and, and if you think about it, I mean, you are a obviously perfectly normal person. Like, why does anybody really have to perform their gender to such an extreme at this point? I mean, it's it's like, okay, I'm a woman. I mean, whatever. I could just roll out of bed and go live my life. But no, I need to put on a lot of makeup and get myself really, really together. Put the outfits together and draw on the lips. <laughs> and I live in LA. I got to get the Botox. I mean, I, we're literally putting shots in our head. Why? Because it's to access the social currency. Mm. We're out here performing because guess what? My life is a lot easier when I dye my hair blonde and I have eyebrows that I saw on Instagram. Okay. It's easier. It's easier to move through the world this way. But you know Mm. what? If those things out there were not happening, if I didn't feel those pressures, if I, if I, if I had the same access to the world without having to do those things, you know, I can't say that I would even do those things. You know, it's, so it's, it's sort of like, you know, maybe like the non-binary, I understand what you're saying, but maybe the problem is the world and the problem is not you. Oh, I totally (laughs) agree that the problem isn't me. I think this was like, you know, as a child, I was trying to puzzle through and like, that's the thing that like came to my brain was like, oh, like long hair means girl. People will think that I'm a girl if I have long hair. But like, it also made me miserable. And that was really hard. And like, I was a young kid, like I was probably like, I must have been like seven or something like around that age when all of this happened. And it took me until I was like 18 to cut my hair again. And like, then like slowly inches (laughs) pretty much every year after that. And 
it's just really hard, I think, for young brains to figure all of that out and like understand. I think there's a lot of pain that comes with like being misgendered. And I mean, I, I've felt that pain absolutely throughout my life. And I think that there's a lot of pain that comes from people putting their idea of your gender onto you. And I think I mean, that's coming back to gender reveal parties. That's like exactly what that celebration, quote unquote, is, right? Of like parents putting and and essentially forcing a gender onto a child and the gender roles and stereotypes that come with it. And it ends up being kind of like, how do we reckon with that as that baby grows up and like comes into their actual selves that might not align with what that gender was what that reveal was yeah you know i wonder if like deconstructing the fear that these mm. parents have would go a long way to change because mm. parents love their children and you know you don't bring a baby home from the hospital and say well this if this kid acts up i'm not going to love it anymore i wonder if part of forcing these kids into this binary with the tutus or i forgot what the little cakes say now like badges or bows or whatever they say on these, these gender reveal cakes. I wonder if it's like a defense mechanism to like mm. protect them from a world that um, it's like, okay, well, if you, if you're a boy, you better be a manly, manly boy, because mm. those are the boys who, you know, get the most respect and do the best and have the best outcomes because of our society. And then if, mm. if you're a girl, well, you better have, you know, the, the tutus and you better be an extreme form of, girl or else you know your outcomes aren't going to be as well it's, it's like this parental anxiety about the future of your children like how can i give them access to a good future and so it's like well wait a minute what if we just got more accepting of everyone and just got more comfortable with people being non-binary got more comfortable you know we're, we're kind of seeing a little bit of a change where it comes to like models uh doing like makeup like anastasia beverly hills i follow a lot of makeup accounts and there's a lot of you know genderqueer people now doing makeup and you're seeing more of that and i think mm -hmm. as more of that happens it's going to deconstruct the fear for the parents it's like wait a minute i don't necessarily have to make sure that my my daughter is that pretty princess with the tutus or that my son is mm -hmm. a, a burly killer with a gun it, like we don't need those streams because mm. that's not the key to success. Mm. And I think like success and like happiness and joy, I think is a big part of that too, of like wanting your kid to grow up to be happy and to like have like a quote unquote, like good life. And the script for that is exactly what you're talking about is, you know, manly men, straight, cis, and however you can kind of conform to that like male gender role. And the, the same goes for girls and women. And I think showing people that the narrative of queerness and the narrative of transness is joyful. It's not just about the struggle. It's not just about you know, transphobia and homophobia and like something that we try and do at Queer Kid Stuff and doing with this podcast. And a lot of the work that I do is I talk about spreading queer joy. And it's not that like we want to erase the struggle, right? It's not about toxic positivity of like everything is hunky-dory all the time because that's not true. But I think that there's something to, you know, that struggle 
birthing joy, great joy. And like, I love being trans and queer and being in those communities and, and living authentically as myself. And I think that's what happiness is. And I think it's about shifting the narrative toward that and toward that happiness, toward that joy for your child, rather than like this gender and like conforming to these gender roles and becoming this kind of person will then beget you that happiness and that joy. Absolutely. I think you're, you're totally spot on with that, you know, just showing that it's not such like a dark side mm. to things. It's not that I'm, I don't live that experience myself, mm-hmm. but you know, in my small way of hoping to contribute, I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, be that example and showing somebody, you, you know, you mentioned happiness and I said success mm-hmm. because some parents do not have the goal of happiness for their child. That's true. This is the one thing I was thinking about with this law class I'm taking right now. That's kind of focusing on like equity. Mm-hmm in the law. And it was like, well, wait a minute, we want equity. We want everyone to have equitable you know, resources and to be treated fairly under the law. But is that really what the people in power want? Is that really their goal or is their goal to protect their own power structure? And it's kind of like, I don't know that every parent's goal is for their child to be happy. I think there are some parents, the ones who are like, ah, get out there and run another lap, get out there and mow the lawn. You know, yeah, we're so we spank the kids. You know, people are like, you know, it's like they're a different mentality than I think what you and I mm-hmm. would would think of being a goal for parenting. And they're like more like, I want a successful child. And I think so. What you're talking mm-hmm. about is like not only showing the joy, but also the prosperity. Mm-hmm. You know what? There's a lot of prosperity along with the joy. And maybe you know, as there's a rise of of transgender and non-binary people in popular culture, mm-hmm. I hope that message also comes across. That you know what, there's a lot of happiness and a lot of success out there. A lot of ways to be amazing in the world, like celebrating greatness of everybody who they are. So you know, you don't have to <laughs> perform in a tutu to to have access to that. Yeah, I. agree. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back with some listener questions. I don't know about you, but when I'm shopping for clothes, comfort is a huge, huge priority for me. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that this podcast is sponsored by Swoverall. Swoveralls are the glorious combination of sweatpants and overalls in one incredibly comfy masterpiece. I actually have two pairs of Swoveralls already. I just ordered the Swovey shorts and I am so excited to have a summer version, a warm weather version of my Swoveralls because they're just so comfortable. Overalls are some of my favorite things to wear. They make me just feel really good in my gender euphoria. And with my inner child, I loved wearing overalls as a kid too. And wearing overalls now has really connected me to that as a trans grown up. And I love wearing sweatpants because they're comfortable. And finding those two things in one piece of clothing is just absolutely mind-blowing. Swoveralls also come in gender-neutral sizing from double X smalls to 4X larges. And Swoveralls are also available in a ton 
ton of different colors and designs. Swoveralls also has a kids collection. So if you wanted to, you know, match your kid, you can get Swoveralls in the adult size for yourself. And then you can also get the same or, or a different color Swoveralls for your kid. And we can see all of your cute matching photos and your Swoveralls on Instagram because that is content that I definitely want to see. Swoveralls are the comfiest thing you never knew you needed. Rainbow Parenting listeners can use the code RAINBOW for 15% off anyone's entire order. So again, that code is RAINBOW, R-A-I-N-B-O-W, and you get 15% off your entire order. Thank you to Swoveralls for sponsoring this podcast. All right, we are back and we're going to answer a listener question. You ready? Yes. All right, let's do it. All right, so this listener is asking, I had a gender reveal party for my baby when they were in my uterus, but now I've kind of come to realize the gender reveals aren't so great and I'm working on my understanding of gender and I'm trying to talk to my kid about the gender reveal party that I had for them, but I'm not really sure how to start that conversation. What do you think? Well, first of all, I don't think anybody should be beating themselves up. If anybody should feel terrible, it's me. And you know what? We're here to to talk and learn. So I think like burying it and pretending that didn't happen is not the best way to go about it. Um, And the truth is your child probably does not remember their gender reveal unless you have pictures of it plastered everywhere. And it may not even be an issue. But I think the best way to talk to a child about their gender is just check in with them all the time. Hey, you know, how are your pronouns? What's going on with the pronouns? We're still doing she, her. Okay. You know, you may get an answer that uh, may surprise you. I think you just need to always reassure your child that you love your child. You know what? It doesn't matter to me. Your pronouns could be whatever. Um, I had a a, kind of similar, but not really the same situation. Another one of my children, she felt that she was like gaining weight or something. Mm. And there's that show, my 600 pound life. And she's like, well, mom, what if I was 600 pounds? I said, so what if you were? (laughs) <laughs> I would love you. I probably cook a little more food, keep up with you. But other than that, like, no, like nothing would be different about our lives or our relationship. And so you just need to reassure your children. Cause I think they're going to test mm. a lot of those waters. And it's not just going to be about like, what if I was a different gender? They, they may even come to you and test you about things like that before they were maybe even ready to talk about like, okay, let me test my mom. What if you, um, you found out that I, I'm atheist and I'm not going to church anymore. What if you found out that, um, I got an F in school. What would you do if I failed my class in school? So they may come at you and try to like test other things. And so it's really important to be really on high alert. If your child asks you something like that, your answer always needs to be, I love you no matter what. I'm here to help you solve your problems. I'm the answer to the problem, not somebody that you need to run from, Mm. So then when you finally get to that and you're talking, checking in, Hey, so, you know, I, there's a lot of pronouns. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, a lot of people in my Zooms have been talking about their pronouns. What are your pronouns? Are you, we're still mm. doing she, her, that type of thing. So I think just being really aware <laughs> of that they're always going to be testing you. And that might be in the back of their mind, like going to build up to it. Yeah. And I think that that's so important to just hit home that like, it's not just non-binary and trans people who need to be checking in about their pronouns and checking in with their kids about their pronouns. It's everyone needs to reckon with their gender because it's a part of being a human, right? And I think like in talking about like gender reveal parties with your kid too, because I think it does come up in like, I don't know, maybe like a 
kid has a friend whose mom is pregnant and, you know, is maybe having a gender reveal party and like asking questions about that. And like, did I have a gender reveal party? And it's like, yeah, I actually did. And like, I actually don't really like gender reveal parties anymore or like I wish I'd done it differently and like here's why and I think it's important to have those transparent conversations with your kids too especially as you're like talking to them at these early ages about gender and about their gender and about your gender. I think it's okay to talk to kids about what gender reveal parties are and start kind of like deconstructing that for kids and helping them develop those critical thinking muscles too. I think that that's a big part of this as well. Yeah. And also being careful about like the schools that you put your Mm. children, like preschool, the babysitters that you have around, because, you know, they'll they'll go to school and they'll be three years old and they'll be like, okay, boys and girls, boys over here, girls over there. Mm -hmm. And there's like really strict, like things that they're learning from the world that's not coming from inside your house. And it's like, you know, look for those preschools to talk to them. You know, we went to a, a good one that they just were like, friends, we're going to do this. And it was never about like, the boys are going to do this and the girls are going to do that. You know, if they gravitate toward playing with a doll or a truck, that's on them. But, you know, it's like, you have to be careful. You can't just like trust, oh, I'm going to send my kid to school and everything's going to be fine. It's like, oof, you got to like pay attention to who they're around. If you have some kind of bigoted uncle who's going to come over and be like, you know, pants are for boys and dresses are for girls. It's like, you know, be careful who you've got your kids around. Like just because they're family, they might be toxic. Get rid of them. And I think that those are the hardest conversations too of like, oh, sorry, my dog has opinions apparently. Uh, (laughs) I think that that's an important thing too of like, you might have people around your child who aren't safe about gender topics. And that's for you to kind of figure out like, okay, is this a person that's safe for my child to be around because of that? And also like, if you do let your kid be around that person and they say something, how are you going to have a conversation with your child about what was said and and why maybe Maybe it was wrong or what was, I don't know, happening in that conversation that maybe didn't feel good or validating to them or you or someone you know. And uh, yeah, thinking critically about what schools and environments you're putting your kid in is really important. And like, you know, there's something to be said about systemic work of like changing some of those spaces, but also like sometimes we don't have the energy, right? And like we need to look for those spaces that maybe don't need changing and are safe to an extent on their own. So I think um, that those are all really important points to pick out for sure. Yeah. You know, you're, you're molding your children, you know, to see things and, uh, always on our dinner table. Oh my God. We're always talking about, you know, yeah. Like how to be more inclusive and, and just not be a freaking jerk. (laughs) I think that that is a fantastic note to end on. Thank you so much for joining me, Jenna. Where can folks find you on the internet if they want to look for you and what you're doing? Oh gosh, just Google gender reveal inventor and uh, my name will pop right up. I have it so long. My name is Jenna Carvinitas and I'm on Instagram, I think at Jenna Carvinitas. Um, I do have a Facebook page. It's called High Gloss and Sauce. That was the original name of my blog, mm. but I got rid of the blog because I didn't need all that on the internet. So <laughs> anyway, I'm around. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, that's all we've got for you today. All right. Bye. All right, that was my conversation with Jenna Carvanitas, the original inventor of the gender reveal party. I hope you found this conversation as interesting as I did. (laughs) 
As always, you can find Jenna at all the places on the internet where she pointed you. You can find me at Linz Amer, L-I-N-D-Z-A-M-E-R on Twitter and Instagram and at Queer Mixter Rogers on TikTok. You can find Queer Kid Stuff and all of our work, all of our things over at QueerKidStuff.com and at QueerKidStuff on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to our weekly newsletter. We've got lots of goodies in there and make sure you share this episode with a friend, especially if you have a friend or a family member who is thinking about throwing a gender reveal party. Maybe send them this episode and they will think twice about it. That would be cool. Thank you so much for joining me this week for this episode of Rainbow Parenting. That's all I've got for you today. Talk soon. Rainbow Parenting is hosted and created by me, Linz Amer. It's produced in partnership with Multitude and is edited by Misha Stanton. The theme music is by Amanda Darchangelis and the logo artwork is by Abe Tenzia.